You know, several years ago, I started becoming more aware of this, um, kind of this inclination that I have to disregard wisdom unintentionally when it comes to me out of season. And that may, that may sound like a weird thing to say, but I think all of us, maybe innately, we have this tendency to pay attention to, th- to things in our life that seem relevant to the exact moment that we're in and to either shelve or to disregard or to write off or to trivialize things that don't seem pertinent to the moment that we're in. And I've just seen this tendency in myself over the years when wisdom comes to me uh, through someone or through something, when it comes to me in a season where I don't know how to apply that wisdom, it's easy for me to just sort of blow it off. And so I've seen this a number of times. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Sydney and I were walking through Opry Mills Mall on a Saturday in June because we wanted to be reminded that hell is indeed a real place. And so <laughs> we went to Opry Mills on a Saturday with everybody else that was here for the CMAs. And we're walking through Opry Mills and, and I needed a new winter jacket. I had not gotten a new one for years. And we walked past that Sun and Ski store. And my wife, who is just a woman of wisdom, she says, hey, 40% off on winter jackets and you need a jacket and it's the cheapest you'll ever get a jacket. You should just take 10 minutes to go in there and try one on. And because I'm a man, I heard every word that she said. I processed it as true and wise. And then I made an excuse. I'll come back next week. I wasn't coming back next week. Um, and I didn't know what to do with the wisdom. It came to me out of season. And, and then spoiler alert, six months later, winter came back around and didn't have a jacket, needed a jacket, so I spent too much money on a cheaper jacket because I bought a winter jacket in the winter, right? And so instead of receiving that word of wisdom when I got it and using that moment of revelation to lead me to, towards preparation, I just kind of blew it off and then later I paid the price for it. We, we tend to do that in life. I remember uh, months before my oldest son was born and we had to go tour the hospitals that we were kind of contemplating on, you know, where is he gonna be born? And, cause I knew I couldn't handle the home birth thing. Like I would just freak out. I'm like, I gotta be in a hospital. And so we're going to hospitals, checking those things out. And on those tours, they're just dropping wisdom. Like here's, here's what you need to know. Like when you're trying to care for a human, like here's stuff that you need to know. And I know this sounds crazy, but we were a few months away from having a kid and in my mind it just hadn't clicked and I was getting wisdom, but once again, it felt like wisdom out of season and I didn't know how to apply it, so I didn't know how to receive it. Six or seven months later when I have this young little son that I love more than life itself and I'm trying to figure out how do I warm up a bottle without you know, scalding his mouth and I'm like, I wish someone would have given me this information. And it's like, oh, they did. <laughs> but. I didn't know what to do with it. Why? Because wisdom had come to me out of season. And my tendency is when wisdom comes to me out of season is to treat it lightly. And I I say that this morning because we're going to have a conversation out of Philippians 1 that for some of you, and here's what I'd argue, for maybe the minority of you in the room this morning, as soon as we get into Philippians 1, you're going to go, that is right for me. That is my story. But for a whole lot of you, for a whole lot of us in the room this morning, Maybe you're in a season where life is just up and to the right. Everything seems to be working. You're just crushing it. <laughs> and, and it's gonna be like someone's trying to sell you a snow jacket in June. <laughs> and I'm not saying this to like make you freaked out or to, you know, like, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just telling you, if this word does not feel true to you today, I'm telling you, it will feel true to you sooner than you know. 
And all week long, I've just felt the weight, I believe the weight of the Holy Spirit upon me just as I've been praying for our church that this reality is not just gonna be true for us individually or communally as a church. I believe it's gonna be so true for the church in the West sooner than we think. And so this morning, if at any point as we're reading through the scripture and you feel your mind just kind of wondering because you don't feel the initial relevance of it, uh, just let that be like the check engine light on the dashboard of your car where you go, hey, maybe I need to lean in harder because God wants to give me revelation for the sake of preparation. He wants to do something for the days that are ahead. And so here's, here's the conversation we're gonna jump into this morning. It's a complicated conversation. I wish we weren't having it from a platform in a huge room like this. I wish it was around coffee tables and we had hours to discuss. But we're gonna talk about the mystery of God's work in our life in the midst of intense suffering. The mystery of how Jesus works in our life in seasons of intense suffering. And those of you that are in seasons of suffering, it's gonna feel, I think, like water in the desert. And for those of you that are not in a season of suffering, there's gonna be a temptation to go, like, really? I don't know. And I'm just telling you, this is going to be a reality of your life in Christ in the days ahead. And I'm just praying that God would help it to take root. And so, complex conversation we're gonna to try to have over the next 25 minutes or so. And I'm just gonna kind of give you the roadmap so mentally you can just kind of go, okay, here's the next turn, here's where we're going. I wanna start by just giving us a little bit of context for Paul's life, uh, what, he's, what he's writing in the midst of, a little bit of context. Secondly, I wanna give you just a really quick biblical foundation for the way that he would have seen the world because if you don't understand the way that he would have seen the world, his, his words about suffering and the mystery and the beauty of Jesus make no sense in our American context if you don't understand his worldview. And so we're gonna get some context, we're gonna get a quick biblical kind of overview, and then we're gonna jump into Philippians 1, and we're just gonna sit at the feet of a master. Other than Jesus, I cannot imagine anybody more apt to speak to us about the mystery and the reality and the beauty of how Jesus works in us in the midst of suffering than the Apostle Paul. And then we'll take our last couple of minutes and we'll go, okay, and so what do we do with this in 2023 in downtown Nashville in the middle of the American church? Like, how do we respond to this? And so context, worldview, wisdom, application. That's where we're gonna go over the next few moments. So here, here's the context from Philippians 1. If you missed it, uh, go back and listen to the first week from a few weeks ago. But in short, Paul, this man who had experienced this tremendous, tremendous touch of God in his life, He'd experienced this tremendous touch of God in his life. Is using the, the, the latter years of his life, he's gone from persecuting the church to now starting churches and blessing people and making disciples. And here he is when he's writing this book, this little letter to the church in Philippi. He is literally in prison in a season of intense suffering. And so, so here's what I want you to just kind of hear about his context. You know, he's not writing this book from the, the comfort of some upscale coffee shop in 12 South trying to get a book deal and a platform and build his Christian witness to be famous for Jesus. It's like, this dude is in the midst of the trenches. He's not in an American prison with cable TV and three meals a day in a gym where you can get jacked out of your mind. He is in a Roman prison in suffering in the midst of chains and he goes hey I want to have a conversation about what Jesus mysteriously does when you are going through hell when life is falling apart he's not talking about suffering in the rearview mirror which would have been beautiful and beneficial 
He's talking about the mystery of Christ in suffering while he's in the midst of experiencing that mystery in suffering. That's the context. He's writing from prison in suffering. That's his context. Now, step two, let's talk about the worldview by which he would have understood suffering because if you don't understand his worldview, everything he's gonna say in the book of Philippians seems insane. I'll just give you three just kind of quick things, and I wish we could talk a long time about all three of these things, but I just, I want to give us a baseline together. If you take notes, the first is this, that when Paul looked at the world, he was deeply convinced that his life existed to revolve around God. God did not exist to revolve around Paul. Paul believed that he existed to revolve around God, that Jesus was the son and Paul was in orbit around Jesus, that Jesus did not exist to orbit around Paul. Now, some of you are going, I can't believe I got out of bed and came here for something so simple. Of course, we know that. Like, I believe if you went to any church in America on a Sunday and just asked a random person, do human beings exist to revolve around God or does God exist to revolve around humans? Almost every Christian gets that right on the test. (laughs) Like, we exist to, to revolve around God. He's the center of our lives. But I don't know if you ever noticed this in your life. Have you noticed how it is, it is one thing to think you believe something, and it is an entirely different thing to actually believe something, that what I think I believe about God and what I actually believe about God, sometimes those things are rolled apart, right? And I think most of us, if we're really honest, we'd go, oh, we think we believe that God is at the center and we revolve around him until life gets tough, until prayers feel unanswered, until I feel stuck. And it's like, God, but God, I haven't, when are you gonna fix this? And Paul was, was deeply convinced that he existed for the purpose of revolving around the glory and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. That's not just what he thought he believed, that's what he actually believed. What he thought and what he actually believed were were lined up and what I've seen in my life is, man, I deceive myself. There's a lot of things that I think I believe. (laughs) Like I think I believe that a person is supposed to be honest at all costs. I think I believe that I'm supposed to be vulnerable and transparent with Sydney no matter the cost. But what I've learned over and over is that sometimes life gets tough and what I think I believe about honesty and what I actually believe about honesty are different. I remember right after she and I got married, we were moving into this house and she had this piano that was gifted to her by her grandmother that mattered so much to her, she loved that piano. And so I was moving us into the house and some of my buddies that had said they'd show up to help me move Hatton, it was just me and one other dude, both of us weighed like 160 pounds and we're like, yeah, we can take that piano up a set of stairs without any consequence. And so we've got this piano that Sydney cares about, she's not there, she's at work and I'm trying to lift this piano up and we have an accident with the piano and break the edge of the piano. And that was the moment where I discovered that what I thought about honesty and transparency and vulnerability And what I actually believed about it were different. Took it into the house, put a plant over the edge of it to cover up the area that was broken. (laughs) And I discovered there's a gap. And I'm I'm just, I'm saying this with gentleness, but with love, guys, a lot of us, especially in seasons of comfort, it's easy to sit here and go, my life exists to revolve around God. And then life gets hard and you go, wait, God, I thought you were here for my comfort for my glory, for my breakthrough. And he cares about, he cares about you. 
But Paul goes, I exist for his, and for his glory. And there's a reason Paul could say something like, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we see that scripture and it's just like emblazoned on a plate at Cracker Barrel that you buy for your grandmother and you're like, that's powerful. <laughs> he goes, no, it's, there's a truth here. There's a worldview that's at work underneath what he's gonna say is that his life revolved around Jesus. Second biblical foundation is that as our life revolves around God, secondly, it's a normal thing as our life revolves around God to experience suffering. It's not wanted, it's not longed for, it's not prayed for, but it's, it's normal to experience it. it. To experience suffering as a follower of Jesus does not make you an exception to the rule. This is an important thing to get your mind around. You know, Psalm 23, one of my favorite psalms, the first half of it is one of my favorite psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides my feet in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Don't you love that part of the psalm? Man, I hate the next part of it. Even when I walk through the valley of what? Somebody help me out. Through the valley of the, the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for your rod and your staff are with me. They comfort me, they protect me. You prepare a table before me where? Okay, we have a few Christians here, that's good. <laughs> you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Like, he's going, hey, th this is a part of life with God. David's going, hey, God's in the center. I am revolving around God. And sometimes it's green pastures and still waters and purpose. And sometimes it's life in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus is gonna say this in John chapter 16, verse 33. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome what? the world. Jesus said, hey, I love you. I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. In this world, you're going to have trouble. This is a part of the Christian life, is that suffering, suffering is not the exception to the rule. It is part of the path that followers of Jesus walk. And I think sometimes our wealth, I think sometimes the place that we live, I think sometimes the, uh, the context of our pervasive escapism has convinced us that if we just do this right, we can get above the valley of the shadow of death. And Jesus goes, no, this is the way. This is the way that it goes. Sometimes the suffering is gonna come just because you're in a broken world. And you're gonna experience the suffering that comes with aging. You're gonna get the stage four cancer diagnosis when you didn't see it coming. Your parents don't get back together. Sometimes it's the suffering of being in a tough world where geopolitical realities make things taxing and hard. Sometimes suffering comes because of bad choices that you've made. We've all experienced this where you've made a choice and then life begins to unravel because you sinned and now you're dealing with the consequences. That's, suffering comes that way. Sometimes suffering comes not because of something you've done, it comes because of something somebody else has done to you. You've been abused, you've been rejected, you've been abandoned, you've been hurt. All of these sufferings are real. Suffering in the world, suffering because of what you've done, suffering because of what others have uh, done to you. And then there is a layer of suffering that Paul is gonna speak about that I think will be relevant to every one of us in the years to come. He's gonna go, it's the suffering that comes not just because of a bad world or bad choices or bad people, it's suffering that comes because you have been faithful to Jesus. 
James is gonna say no matter what type of suffering comes into your life, it's all useful for developing perseverance so that the fullness of Christ might be made known in you. Paul is writing from prison, that's his context. His worldview is that I exist for the glory of God. And as I revolve around God, suffering will come, third foundational reality, and, in, and with Christ or in Christ, even something as unwanted and terrible as suffering can have a purpose. In Christ, everything, even something as unwanted as suffering can have a purpose. Now, let, let me be clear on this. Last time I talked on this, I got a number, and I'm not just saying this, I got a number of people that just came at me pretty hard on this. Because I think there is a lie that is so embedded in our hearts that most of us don't know what to do with it. And here's the lie, that everything works out for good in the end. That's a lie. Wait, wait Dave, what do you mean that's a lie? Uh, Romans 8.28 is misquoted all the time. Everything's just gonna work out good in the end. It's not what Romans 8.28 says. It doesn't say everything good works out at the end. It says, in Christ. Even suffering can have a purpose. Romans 8, 28. He's gonna say, God works for the good in everything of those who what? Who love him and are called according to his purposes or walking according to his purposes. Suffering apart from Christ will just destroy you, deconstruct you, break you down and wear you out. Suffering in Christ will still try to do those things. Yet in the midst of all of it, we go, hey, when I am in Jesus, when I'm walking with Christ, suffering does not have to have the last word. Outside of Christ, suffering is hopeless. In Christ, it can have a purpose. Genesis chapter 50, Joseph goes, hey guys, what you intended for evil, God is working for good. And there's this sense, this was the framework. Paul is in prison writing about suffering from a place of suffering. And the way he saw the world was that he existed to revolve around God. And as he revolved, there would be seasons of suffering in his life. And he believed that in Christ, even the thing he did not want to happen could have purpose, okay? That's the context, that's the foundation. Now, Philippians chapter one, okay? And I don't think our time in Philippians will be as long as my intro just was, but here we go. Look at verse 12. He says, now I want you to know this, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually happened to serve in advancing the gospel. So as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. I love this, but what does it matter? You know, if I was in prison, it would feel like it matters a lot. But Paul's like, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or from true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I continue to rejoice. For the next few minutes, I just wanna sit at the feet 
of a master, whether this feels in season or out of season to you. And from that worldview, in his context, he's gonna say, here's what I want you to know about suffering with Christ. I'll just give us kind of four big buckets. The first one is this. He's gonna say, when your life revolves around Jesus, when you exist to revolve around Jesus, suffering does not have to be a setback for the purposes of God in your life. Suffering does not have to be a setback for the purposes of God in your life. Look back at verse 12. He says, I want you to know this, my brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, like his suffering, his imprisonment, his torture, his pain, he goes, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He goes, this suffering has not been a setback for what God wants to do in me and through me for the sake of those around me. Now, I want you to notice this. If Paul's worldview was that life was supposed to get easier and more simple and more cushy, gets into retirement, finds his Corona beach, you know, and he's just like living his best life ever. If his view of the world was that life was supposed to be easy and God was his cosmic butler, then suffering would have gotten in the way of that purpose. Because now here's the purpose of my life to bring glory, honor, worship, majesty to Jesus. And he goes, believe it or not, suffering is not a setback to that end goal. He goes, in fact, it's actually a setup. <laughs> it's not a setback, it's a setup. <laughs> he goes, God's using this in ways that I could have never imagined him using it. Wouldn't have wanted it, wouldn't have prayed for it, wouldn't have asked for it. Some of you are right now, you're in a season of suffering. And I'm just telling you, if you will keep your eyes on Jesus, you have no idea how God will gain glory for himself through you, in you, for the sake of those that are around you. He sees you. He loves you. He sees you. He loves you. He knows you. It's not a setback. It's a setup. Paul goes, it's actually work to advance what God's been doing. I remember years ago, there's a guy here in the city uh, who all of us from the outside would have just gone, man, he is in the prime of his life. Ministry was flourishing, marriage was flourishing, just had his first grand, grandkids were being born. He was in a sweet season of life, traveling all over the world, sharing the gospel, doing amazing things, thriving in life, and then he gets this diagnosis that he has ALS. And to all of us immediately, we go, man, this feels like such a setback. I mean, he's, he's right in the prime of his life. God, what are you doing? And for seven years, we've been praying for a miracle. We're still praying for a miracle. But with every year, every year his physical health gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And right now, he spends the majority of his days in his room, alone or with his wife when she's not at work. And he's just there in his room 10 hours a day worshiping Jesus and can't even use his hands anymore. He dictates to his computer just everything that he's reflecting on with Jesus. And guys, it's been unbelievable over the last year. These books that he's written literally from memory uh, over the word of God that's been in his heart all these years are going out all across the world. Tens of thousands of people are coming to Christ in the midst of his suffering. The suffering has not been a setback for my friend Steve. It's been a setback for his comfort, it's been a setback for his dreams. It's been a setback for some of his personal desires. None of those things are bad things, but it has not slowed down the work of Jesus in him or through him or for him. And Paul's gonna go, hey, this is what I want you to know. He, uh, look back at verse 12, he goes, I want you to know this, my brothers and sisters. I'm eager for you to know this. 
that what's happening to me is actually served to advance the gospel. Second bucket of wisdom that he's gonna give us. Maybe it feels out of season. Guys, lean in, lean in. The second bucket of wisdom that he's gonna give us is that suffering has this ability to provide gospel clarity in unexpected places. He goes, suffering is this really interesting reality that Jesus uses to provide gospel clarity in unexpected places. Look at verse 13 with me. He says, as a result of this suffering, it has become what? Somebody shouted out. It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Jesus. He goes, it's become clear. It's become clear. He goes, what used to be hidden has become clear in unexpected places. The palace guard, you know, those guys, they weren't showing up to his sermons. They weren't showing up at the churches that Paul started. He goes, but now I'm here in this place of suffering and God is using my suffering to make the good news of Jesus clear in unexpected places. Guys, this is one of the great mysteries of suffering is that Jesus takes what is typically hidden in the Christian life and brings it to the surface so people that would normally not see it will suddenly see it and give praise to God. Suffering takes that which is invisible and makes it visible. So what happened on the cross of Christ, do you remember this? Jesus had been ministering and doing miracles for three and a half years. A lot of people still missed it. He's there dying on the cross. As he's dying, Jesus is praying for the people that are murdering him. And it says, in his suffering, as he dies, the guards look at Christ, this unexpected moment, like in the executioner room outside of the city of Jerusalem. They're sitting there, these unexpected people, unexpected places, they get gospel clarity. They look at Jesus and they go, oh my goodness, that indeed is the son of God. That didn't happen in his sermons. That didn't happen in his miracles. It happened in his what? In his suffering. Suffering has this way of taking the parts of your life with Christ that your neighbors would never see when you're in a season of comfort and bringing those things radically to the surface so everybody can feast on the goodness of God's majesty in you and through you. Do you want it? Of course not. Does he use it more than you'll ever understand? Paul revolved around God. He knew suffering was a part of the journey that Jesus would redeem it all. And so he goes, okay, then suffering is not a setback. In fact, it actually produces gospel clarity in unexpected places. I think about a friend of mine years ago. Uh, this was when we were much younger. He was 27 years old and he was working in a huge agency here in town. He was a really talented web, web developer. And his agency gets this gets this job from a huge um, men's magazine. That's what it was referred to as. It's really just pornography. And they came to this agency that my friend worked at and they said, we're gonna hire your agency and we don't just wanna hire your agency. We want this specific guy on your team to lead the project who's my friend. And my friend was torn. He's like, I can't do this as a follower of Jesus. I can't use my skills to build a conduit of sin into homes all across the nation. I can't use my skills to to just like casually look past the degradation of women. He's like, I can't do this. And so he goes into his boss and he goes, hey, I can't, I can't be on that project. And the boss goes, I'll do you one better than that. He says, you can't be on the team anymore, you're fired. And there's this moment where all of a sudden, all of his coworkers are going, you're really going to commit career suicide over this little religious conviction? And he goes, it's not a religious conviction. He goes, 
This is a relationship with the living God. And he goes, and I'm not gonna forfeit anything. I'm not gonna forfeit that for anything. And all of a sudden, his coworkers that had been around him for years that knew he was a follower of Jesus, knew he went to church, all of a sudden, the hidden reality of his actual beliefs came up to the surface in this season of suffering. And people got to see it. It's amazing the way that suffering produces gospel clarity in unexpected places. It's not a setback. It can be a setup. Uh, third bucket that Paul is gonna just kind of open up for us. He's gonna suffering has this way of producing courage in the church. It produces courage in the church. You'd expect it to make Christians fearful, to shrink back, but human history is just proven different. Look at verse 14. He goes, and because of my chains, I love that, not in spite of my chains, he goes, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident. I love that he says most. He does say all. He's like, there's still a few cowards. You know who you are. I wish you would have named names. He does that sometimes in his letters. He's like, Logan, you're a coward, bro. Like, um, JK, you would be tough. We know that. Um, I love that he says, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. He goes, suffering has not made us fearful. It has emboldened us. And you see this happening all across the world. You see this happening in Christian history. It's like in fourth grade when that one kid in your class stood up to the bully and he still lost the fight, but all of a sudden you all got confident. You're like, oh. It's like when the church rises up in courage in the midst of suffering, it does something. I think about what's happening right now in Iran. The church is growing the fastest across the entire world right now in the country of Iran, and it is being led by women in the underground church in the face of unbelievable persecution. And every time I read what's happening to them and the story that's going on in them, it doesn't make me scared. It just stirs up a fire in me. And I go, God, would you just prepare the American church to suffer like that? Would you give us a clarity about who you are? Think about a conversation I had with one of our church planners this week who's going through a season of extreme persecution. And as he's telling me what he's going through, just, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the, the spiritual level of courage just bubbling up in me, just going, hey, Jesus, help me. Help me love you like that. Help me know you like that. And Paul goes, suffering, it doesn't have to be a setback. It produces clarity in unexpected places. It gives the church courage to not be quiet with our faith, but to share our faith and to testify to the goodness of Jesus and to get on the front lines and to, and to go all out and go, man, this is who God is and this is what God's doing. Evangelism very rarely flourishes in seasons of comfort. It, it stirs up in seasons of hardship and persecution. I believe one of the greatest revivals the world is ever gonna see is gonna happen in the years to come, and it's not gonna come when everything is up and to the right for the church, but when we are in the, the crucible of suffering, God will give us what we need to bear glory and worship to Jesus. Last bucket that I wanna explore this morning. It's not just that it's not a setback and doesn't just produce clarity and courage. Fourth bucket is Paul's gonna say, it actually has this ability to enrich your joy. Paul's gonna go, in the midst of suffering, there's this thing that God does where believe it or not, he can actually enrich your joy. Look at verse 18, I love this. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that everywhere, 
whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yet I will continue to rejoice. Paul goes, hey, in all of this, everything that's happening, he goes, I don't want you to feel sorry for me because here's what's springing up is heavenly joy. There's a difference between worldly joy and heavenly joy, right? Worldly joy is based on circumstances. The world's version of joy is your relationships have to be great, job has to be great, circumstances have to be great. You have to be on a beach, on vacation with nothing else going on, and then you can be joyful. And I love those moments. But heavenly joy is far, far more unshakable than that. Heavenly joy is not built on circumstances. It's built on Christ and his character and his promises for your life, no matter what's happening in your life right now. And Paul's gonna go, hey, I'm here in a dungeon. Nothing is working the way that the world says it should work. And he goes, and here's what's exploding out of my heart is joy for God. And he goes, and what I have is what I wanna give you. And only when you understand his context and the way that he saw the world can we begin to receive his words and actually believe what he says in verse 21 where he goes, man, for me to live is Christ and for me to die is gain. I know for some of us, maybe for many of us, this scripture feels like out of season wisdom. Some of you, it feels right on the nose, maybe too on the nose. But man, I've, just, I've had this thing just like bubbling in me. You've heard me talk about this over the last couple of years, three years ago in April of 2020, not long after the pandemic started. We were praying one day with our elders and some of our team and we're just asking God to give us revelation about the season that we're in. And man, it was just one of the most pointed, clear, I believe prophetic moments from the Lord where he said, hey, this season that you're in right now is a dress rehearsal. And I'm like, what's that mean? I wasn't a theater kid. I didn't understand the metaphor. I had to kind of think about it, look it up. And if you think about it in theater, you know, the dress rehearsal, what happens before the, the curtain opens on opening night. And that's when dress rehearsal, you're learning where you're strong and where you're weak and where you know your lines and where you don't. And we just, we just sensed at the beginning of the pandemic, the Lord is saying, hey, this is a dress rehearsal for the American church. You're gonna learn a lot about who you are. And when you come back out of this season, it's not just like back to business as usual. You know, we came out of it and merged into this new location together. I'm going through all of these things and uh, God's been working. It's been a really beautiful season in so many ways. And yet we really believe that a couple of years ago, God gave us this revelation about the season we were in, not to write it off, not to discard it, but the revelation came for the sake of preparation. Revelation for the sake of preparation, and the preparation is that life with Christ at times will be more difficult than you could imagine. And so in seasons where it is sunny and warm, how do you make decisions that will prepare you for when it's cold and dark? In seasons where everything feels normal and under your control, how do you prepare for the seasons where things don't feel normal and they don't feel under your control. And it's part of the reason we are taking the next three months in this book, because we believe it is a preparatory reality. <laughs> Some of you, when you hear the word preparation, you're like, all right, guns and gold, and like, you know, it's like all this stuff. <laughs> it's like, no, it's like, is your heart and your mind and your life in step with Christ and him crucified 
and him resurrected, what he said and what he's done, or is there still this huge gap between what you think you believe and what you actually believe? And so much of this is just going, hey, God, we just want to sit here and go, hey, would you help us? Would you help us prepare for the seasons when following Jesus is going to be more challenging than it is on a Sunday morning on a beautiful day in March in downtown Nashville? And part of that is around the conversation of suffering. And Paul goes, hey, Christ is in this. So what do we, what do, we do? Real simply, um, in all of life, we seek to be really honest. Man, when, when you're suffering and it's hard, man, who are the people that you could just be painfully honest with? Hey, it's tough. I need help today. We're honest with each other. We're honest with God. It's the reason I love reading through the Psalms is because David can just lay his heart out. Here's everything I'm feeling, God. Here's everything I'm feeling. How do we prepare ourselves for seasons where it's gonna be harder to follow Jesus? Well, in the good seasons, we have to really learn how to be honest with the Lord, with each other, with ourselves. But it's not just about honesty. It's also learning how to honor one another when we're in those places of pain. When somebody is in a season of suffering and sorrow, as much as you wanna fix it for them, you can't. And so draw near to them and honor their suffering by loving them well and reminding them of the reality of Jesus. Quick fixes and false promises don't lift us out of the pain of the reality that we're in. And so we draw near, we just keep saying, yeah, yeah, but God's still with you. Yeah, but God's still in this. Keep your feet on the path. What, what, how do we prepare ourselves? We, we live with honesty. We live with honor towards the Lord, his word, his promises, the pain that one another is feeling. And then last but not least, we walk in hope. We walk in hope. I love Psalm 27. David is honest with everything that's going on in his life. And then he ends Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14. He goes, and yet I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then he does this thing. He goes, and so let me speak to my heart. So he says, heart, stay strong, wait on the Lord. Sometimes that's what you need when you're in a season of suffering. Is somebody say, hey, heart, stand strong. Wait on the Lord. He's not done. Story's not finished. Story's not finished. He's still writing that story. Suffering won't have the final word. I love that every week we, we end our time in the word by coming to the table and we take the bread and we take the cup. And we're literally, guys, reminded that at the center of the Christian story is the cross of Christ. And that all of heaven's blessings were unleashed on the human story, not just on Easter Sunday, but it began, it began at the cross of Christ. And as you take the bread and as you take the cup this morning, be reminded that in Christ's suffering, all of that goodness came available to you, and that as we bear his wounds in our body, the goodness of God will become available to others as well. And so I wanna invite you to stand with me. And we're gonna receive communion. You can circle up, you can take communion together. It's on the tables all around the room. There are some of you this morning that you're in a season of intense suffering right now, and I would encourage you, we'd love to pray for you before you leave this morning. There's some men and women that are over there at the respond banner. Maybe there's suffering that you need prayers for. Maybe it's the suffering in the life of somebody that you love. But we'd love to pray over you. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. This is your word.
It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. We will hide your word in our hearts so we might not sin against you, God. And we trust that whether the wisdom feels in season or out of season, that God, you will produce a harvest of righteousness for those that do not get who do not get weary and who do not give up on what you've called us into. God, would you let the seed find good soil and bear great fruit? In the name of Jesus, we pray and give thanks. Amen. Hey, I love you. Let's come receive communion together. Go receive prayer at the respond banner to the right of the room if you want to be prayed over. Encourage each other. I love you.